0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We are joining together uh, in Parshat Kitetse this morning in the book of Deuteronomy. And following a triennial division, that brings us to chapter 23, verse 8 of Kittetze. Kittetze is a collection of miscellaneous laws that Moshe is telling the people are going to take effect when they enter the land of Israel. And the laws that we get explicated here are a, a wide range of laws. And they're grouped in relationship to a theme. So they're grouped together um, but there, there are a bunch of different themes. And one of the things that we can learn from Kitetze that I think is a really important you know, Jewish learning in general is that this is all expressive of what it means to be a holy people. So for Kitetze, for Torah, being a good, ethical, moral people is something that affects everything we do every day. The categories are really broad. There's a lot that these laws cover, and what it says is there's not any place in our lives, anything we do, that is not potentially holy. And it's up to us. We might disagree with, you know, the biblical uh, worldview that leads Torah to legislate something a certain way. That's fine because our understanding of law and what's right and what's moral. Uh, changes, thank God. It evolves. We are an evolving religious civilization. But we're a religious civilization. That part hasn't changed. And that's what I really appreciate about Kitesi. So again, not looking necessarily at the specifics of do we agree or disagree? Would we do this today? Would we not? What is really valuable for me about Kitesi is what if we still understood an imperative Around everything we do, all of our laws. What if we had an imperative that was truly informed by a religious perspective? That is something I feel um that we don't talk about a lot in progressive religion. You know, we kind of separate our politics from our religion. This is the you know beauty of America. It is the challenge in some ways. You know, the the right is a lot clearer about their politics being related to an expression of their religious values. Um, I think we, we have that just as strongly on the left. I don't think we talk about it nearly as much. And I think we're not always so comfortable talking about progressive values being related to religious ideals. Um, we can have that conversation as we go along. I want us to just hold that in our minds, that we talked last time about a theocracy, right, that, you know, in a civilization that doesn't have a separation between religion and politics, every single piece of legislation becomes a religious issue. So that is the perspective of Kitetse, that is the perspective of Torah in general, and certainly a lot of what we see in the book of Deuteronomy. So let's start uh, At twenty-three-eight, because we're reading on the triennial division. Who would like to begin? You
2: shall not abhor Edomite, for he is your kinsman. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, for you were a stranger in his land. Children born to them may be admitted into the congregation of the Lord in the third generation. When you go out as a troop against your enemies. Be on your guard against anything untoward. If anyone among you has been rendered impure by a nocturnal omission, he must leave the camp and he must not re-enter the camp. Toward evening he shall bathe in water and at sundown he may re-enter the camp. Further there shall be an area for you outside the camp where you may relieve yourself. With your gear you shall have a spike, and when you have squatted you shall dig a hole with it and cover up your excrement. Since the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver your enemies to you, let your camp be holy. Let him not find anything unseemly among you and turn away from you. Continue. Mm -hmm. You shall not turn over to his master, a slave who seeks refuge with you from his master. He shall live with you in any place he may choose among the settlements in your midst, wherever he pleases. You must not ill-treat him. No Israelite woman shall be a cult prostitute. Nor shall any Israelite man be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the fee of a whore or the pay of a dog into the house of the Lord your God in fulfillment of any vow, for both are abhorrent to the Lord your God. Go on. You shall not deduct interest from loans to your countrymen, whether in money or food or anything else that can be deducted as interest. But you may deduct interest from loans to foreigners. Do not deduct interest from loans to your countrymen so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings in the land that you're about to enter and possess. And read through 24. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not put off fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will require it of you and you will have incurred guilt, whereas you incurred no guilt if you were refrained from vowing. You must fulfill what has crossed your lips and perform what you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God, having made the promise with your own mouth.
1: Exactly right. Kol Nidre. What's the connection, Rita?
3: That you should keep your vows.
1: <laughs> so what's the connection to Kol Nidre? You should keep your vows. Kol Nidre, all your vows. To
3: everybody, not just to God.
1: So what do we need Kol Nidre it's for? nulling the vows. Kol you know, Nidre annuls the vows. Is it for last year or next year? <laughs> ah. Depends which branch of Judaism you're in. Um, so it annuls your vows so that you don't incur guilt from not having fulfilled them, because as we see, Judaism takes very seriously when you swear to do something. When you make a vow, you have to fulfill it, or it's a pretty serious infraction.
2: At least until next Yom Kippur.
1: <laughs> so, so Torah recommends, as you saw at that last verse, don't swear that's the simplest way to take care of it so you know any you know you talk to a traditional observant person about a meeting next Thursday what do they say I'll be there
3: <laughs>
1: one one style is God willing another one is Bez Hashem. Bez, that's God that's Bezratash and with the help of God the other one is Blineder. without without a vow without, a vow, without swearing <laughs> without promising because if I say I'll be there next Thursday, that is in fact kind of a promise. But as the other expressions indicate, anything could happen between now and next Thursday, right? And now not only is my car broken down, but I've broken my promise to you that I was going to be at the meeting. It compounds everything. So everything is blineder without, without swearing, without a promise or bezrat hashem, right? With the help of God. God willing. Meaning it's not really up to me whether I'll be there next Thursday. It's really all in God's hands.
2: In Islam, people say inshallah. Mm-hmm. Which, means inshallah. God, which means God willing. And if you listen to conversations in Arabic, you can hear inshallah like 10 times. Right? And you go to make a meeting and someone says I'll see you next Thursday and you always say inshallah. Yeah. Yep. which is God willing.
1: All right. So, yes. <clears throat> My thought was only vows to God
0: that you needed to be relieved of and vows to people you had to ask their forgiveness you couldn't uh, could just go to home and, and, <laughs> and get exempted anything you said to anybody yeah so,
1: so it's an interesting question Torah is, Torah is pretty clear that it's about vows that involve God right um, all vows would have included for them to mean anything all of them would have included God on some level, or or it's not serious, right? Like you. In the olden days, you mean that was the official. Oh, right, right. When you when you invoke the divine, now you can trust that I'm gonna right. do right. You know, I swear my testimony will be the truth. So help me God, because that that then everybody okay, we're we're good, right? It's it's for sure now. Um, that evolves though over time, and for the rabbis. They really develop this whole category of speech. The rabbis are very concerned with speech. They are, like, hyper-obsessive concerned um, about speech in a way that I wish we took a little more seriously. Um, But Lashon Hara, right, gossip is huge for the rabbis. They say this is the cause, you know, gossip is the cause of, you know, all kinds of horribleness and is really what leprosy is about, is lashon hara, and uh, halbanat panim, the whitening of the face, meaning embarrassing somebody by your words publicly, is murder, according to the rabbis. It's the same as murder. Like, so they, they really exaggerate the importance of speech. And so I think promises kind of falls into that category of just, just be careful what you say and take it seriously. And it's considered an infraction if I promise you something and then I don't fulfill it. And yes, you have to go ask someone for forgiveness because you've hurt them, but it also involves God, right? Are we clear? So yes, Yom Kippur does not atone for sins that I commit to another human being. I have to go make reparation to with somebody that I've hurt, right? That has to happen first. But after that, after I make amends to you, I have to go to God to ask forgiveness for having hurt you. Why? I made amends with you. Why, why is God involved?
0: Well, from what you said earlier, at, at least in the olden days, a promise was viewed as being made in, in the name
1: of God. All right, so let's say it's not about a promise. I got mad at you and smacked you in the head. I see. And now I come to you and I say, I'm really sorry. And you say, it's all right, Rabbi. I understand it's been a really, really hard week. I forgive you. Why do I have to now go ask God's forgiveness for hitting you?
2: Isn't there a sense that it pollutes the land? Yeah, it, it pollutes church? society.
1: Once somehow? upon a time. It's a purity yeah.
0: violation, so to speak. You, you know,
1: Once upon a time. Why now? Because any time I do something to a child of God, I offend God. Any time I in any way harm God, An image of God I have offended God We are all children of the one And so Anything I do to anybody else Is by definition An affront To the divine So anytime I need forgiveness For anything that I've done to somebody else I have to go to them first But then I also have to go clean up What I've done to offend Right What should be and wasn't because of my behavior yes
4: same thing in business
1: explain
4: well in business you make agreements with someone and uh, somewhere along the lines my interpretation may be different from the other one's interpretation but uh, to deceive people uh, or put or or create defective products to make a buck uh, that's That's against our principles. And uh, if you have a disagreement, okay, you argue, you just put the difference, you get on with your life. But it's very important to keep your agreements uh, verbally or written. All right. So If you have to take a hit sometime, okay, you make it good, and uh, you get on.
1: All right. So agreements in general are understood to be sacred sacred, period. And any time you break them, you have committed an act of profaning the sacred, yes? And so, so Kol Nidre, for me, is about affirming every year on the holiest night of our year, affirming that we take very seriously or should take very seriously our agreements.
5: Maybe is this uh focused on relationship of a Jew to another Jew versus a Jew to a non-Jew? Can a Jew break an agreement
1: with a non-Jew and not uh, get the same? Certainly in the era, most of them can do that. So it is my understanding that in general... Um, this is being written for Israelites living with each other. Each other yeah. And we just are going to see an incredible law here that, right, is rather amazing um, that tells us something about how the Israelites are supposed to treat non Jews. Right? So Reuben was like, wow, look at that when we read that. So let's look at it. Let's look at 23.8. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your kinsman. Check this out. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, for you were a stranger in his land. Children born to them may be admitted into the congregation of God in the third generation. Talk to me about this. What the heck?
3: We welcome the stranger. we're not going it. to. It's uh, we're we're not Donald Trump's here. You know, something <laughs> <laughs> and so all rapists or
1: something. So yeah, we're going to. So we'll look at all of that. Um, but all right. the,
3: the idea is. In the ancient world If someone's running across a the border They're like now They're Jesus escaping something horrible And we're going to provide Protection for them So it's incredible and wonderful
1: It's, it's truly something Amazing yeah. That Dafka Egyptians are mentioned Because when you think of What happened in Egypt For me you might as well fill in Nazis here Right? Who tried to wipe you out? A campaign of genocide. Every baby boy you shall drown in the Nile. It was a campaign of murdering babies in an attempted genocide. And you shall not hate the Egyptian.
4: Now some Orthodox will say we're not allowed to go to Egypt. Okay. Okay. Why? I
1: don't know. Because it's considered, you know, by Torah to be a place of depravity and a place of gluttony and godlessness. And you go down to Egypt. Good things don't happen in Egypt. Nothing good happens in Egypt if you read the Bible. Nothing good. So... <clears throat> the rabbis want to, you know, focus on villainizing, right? What are they doing? Egypt. And um, yet, Torah seems very clear <coughs> that you, you are not to demonize the Edomite, even though you've been on and off at war with them, and you're not to demonize the Egyptian, even after what they did to you. This is not turn the other cheek. Does not say turn the other cheek.
6: Interesting. Last week I had lunch with this young woman who's at the university from the University of Berlin, mm-hmm. who you you paired me up with in a certain way to talk about what American Jews think about Germans. Mm-hmm. And it was, made me think about in my own self, but it was an interesting lunch, and she had some interesting things to say. And uh, so it sort of in this about Egyptians that we're still, you know, all these years later, thinking
1: about. Right. Yeah. And for me, maybe because I was raised in such a Jewish context... But it's not just Germans; it's Poles, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? It's people who charged the Germans per head to move the Jews across their land, yeah. you know, and happily turned over and Jews and Ukrainians, <laughs> and right. So, and the, like, so it's you know, this the sting of it is not limit and the Lithuanians. It's not limited to Germans, right? You know, three million from Poland died you know so um and the tendency right to with a hugely broad brush like paints those folk we just named right did i'm going to talk about this at the high holidays i don't want to go off on a tangent but um it's it got very personal recently for me um that i found my birth family and met them in philadelphia before i went to camp and, and because of that, have gone on to Ancestry.com, and I've gone back about seven generations on both sides. My birth mother I, is dead, but I met my sister, and she said that she was raised by her grandmother and her great-grandmother, who spoke Ukrainian at the table when they didn't want her to understand. So, Ukraine. Then, as I was doing Ancestry.com, Poland. My great-grandmother was born in Poland, then Lithuania, <laughs> right? right? My, my, the Bernsteins are all Litvak. They're all Lithuanian. So I was always like, it, I just considered it an accident that I looked like them. It, right, and now it's like, but that's not me, but that's not me, but that's not me. It's like, well, guess what? But, right, so what does it mean, right? like It was like confronting in a very visceral way that they were not Jews that I was born to. Right, these were the Poles, Ukrainians, Lithuanians. Right, it's like, wow. Like, what does it mean to descend from?
3: But it says the third generation will <clears throat> be admitted to the congregation, which I was going to. Hallelujah. No, so I mean, what is it? Uh, just automatically, they're admitted? Isn't there no?
1: No, meaning you can't be a part of the congregation of Israel until the third generation, right? Thank you, Rita. Thank you for that. Hey, just This may it, it be a, a new,
5: but I'm sort of curious if there's a Reconstructionist versus Orthodox nice difference. If I gossip about a Jew next month, I have to apologize to the Jew. I have to apologize to God. That's correct. If I gossip about the non-Jew, I probably should apologize as a good person, which I'm commanded to be, but I don't know that I have to apologize
1: to God. Yeah, you do. I do. Yeah, it doesn't matter who who you gossip about. You've gossiped. So it, the it sin is, is, is gossiping.
5: Gossiping against the Jew is why if the sin is charging interest. Why is there a distinction between the
1: two? So okay, so that that yeah. so we'll look at that. So. So, I, so I want us it's to hold.
3: It's not a sin. We so, can't do it. It's a, it's a law. It's a law, which is different than Lush and hara, which is
1: is a sin. Yeah. So, so some some things hold only within the land of Israel, yeah. and some things stopped being law after we did not have sovereignty. But but we'll go there. So um, I want us to hold this though, because I'm going to come back to it. Jonathan Sachs, I'm going to come back to this whole idea, which is why I brought up like my origin, right? So because there is this kind of like, Ugh, right, you know, we think Germany, e- you know, Eastern Europe, and it's like, right? So let's let's hold that, and we'll come back to that, and as we go a little bit further into these laws to get it. That's some of what David's talking about. So when you go out against your enemy, so even when you are in dire, desperate circumstances like war, do not forget that you are a holy people. So behave, including sanitary things, behave in a way that preserves your dignity as a human community. You are not animals. And let us always, even when it's easy to get distracted by issues of life and death, as in a situation of war, do not compromise, is what I hear Toto saying, do not compromise your humanity. And behave, even in a military camp, as if God walks among you, because God walks among you. Not
2: easy
1: to do. Not easy to do. It's
2: an interesting... Phrase here on uh, 15. It's translated here. Since the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver you, there's a real sense. I mean, it's it's a physical image, right? Of always the presence of God in everything you do, yes. even in war.
1: Yes. You shall not turn over to his master a slave who seeks refuge with you from his master. He shall live with you in any place he may choose among the settlements in your midst wherever he pleases you must not ill-treat him. This you would have no reason to know this. This is remarkable. There are you often hear me bring in ancient near eastern law so that we understand Torah in its context. The only thing we have in the ancient near eastern literature that is a parallel to this is you shall turn over any slave who escapes their master. That is the only parallel law in the ancient world. So what is what am I saying by saying that?
3: We're incredible.
1: <laughs> Opposite. Totally contradicts. This totally contradicts the culture and the laws of the time and the, the neighborhood. Does
5: that mean?
1: 100%. So therefore, what,
5: why so many
1: distinctions? So, a U.S. citizen has access to Medicare. An immigrant who, are they naturalized? Do they have a green card? Are they a permanent resident? Are they on the pat, right? So, we still do this. Yeah. This is a law for citizens. So, it's outlining, right, the different status Possibilities of who's living in in ancient Israel. So, if it's telling us a slave, and, and for lots of reasons that we don't need to go into a lot, but the, grammatically, it seems that this means a slave who comes over your border from another country.
5: And if you're looking at this as a law, is this a concept of separation of church
1: and state? There is no separation of church and state in the ancient world. None. But is
5: there a here? Are we creating? No. Here?
1: No, no, there's no separation of church and state in ancient Israel. God's law is and it applies to civil things because there is no difference between civil and religious. This is also saying the slave is not
2: property because elsewhere here, it says that if you find property that belongs to somebody else, you have to like return it to keep it for a year, return it to them. Here, it's the exact opposite.
1: Interesting. So, Dafka again, yeah. opposite, you know, what property laws would be. So, the, the, we are the only culture that we know of, the ancient Israelites, to have a mandate to protect a fugitive foreign slave who has escaped. The assumption is, as Pam said, if they're escaping and they're coming over your border, whatever they were experiencing had to be pretty bad. Life is pretty dangerous on a good day in the ancient world. A fugitive slave is toast if they're found. So they're desperate, and Torah seems very clear. You may not extradite them. They will find sanctuary, and they may live wherever they want. And this is addressed to the entire Israelite population. You don't get to pick whether or not they sleep on your beach.
6: So as a child growing up in the South, as you were, in the Jewish community that you were in, mm-hmm. and having the history of that Jewish community, how... how Was
1: this dealt with, the slavery issue? Um, Slavery in my Jewish world, we were very proud as Southern Jews that we stood on the right side of that issue, that we marched. Heschel marched with King. And so Southern Jews were very proud of the fact that early on Jews supported the Civil Rights Movement and were very active in the Civil Rights Movement. And,
6: and what about before, during the Civil War? The Jews-
1: you had Jewish slave owners, and you had Jews fighting for slaves to be freed.
2: Wasn't slavery in the American South, though, different from this kind of slavery? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we, we tend to think of slavery as getting people out of one place and putting them in chains, and et cetera, et cetera. Not that this was good, but it was a different kind of slavery, wasn't
1: it? Yes, in general. the American slavery is the most heinous form of slavery that's ever existed. It, it's not normative. So what was done to African Americans is not normal in any society that has slaves as a part of its economic system. Um, they were They were not considered... Just property. You, you, they were, their, their labor was your property. The produce of their work was your property. You owned their efforts you, and maybe even access to their person, you know, to their sexuality. Like we've seen, you know, men controlled women's, you know, owned women's access to women's sexuality. So those things probably st- hold, but you did not own their person. You didn't own a person necessarily. right? So
3: I never liked the translation of, from evan to slave. I mean, servant might be better. Oh. A servant or a worker. Because
1: because Except with
3: the American experience yeah. of slave. I mean, they did have rights that our American slaves did not have, so yeah, I, I, would say I know it's a But a the
1: the challenge with worker is that it's voluntary often. And so I think the, maintaining the translation to slave, the the benefit of it is that it it evokes what happens to one when one is desperate and does not have options. That's why the laws are so important.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It, workers, yes, we should all have laws protecting workers' rights. Absolutely. But when you start talking slavery, you're talking, I don't have any options. And so it's even more important to me that we have laws protecting slaves, even more than workers.
3: I, I, I don't know. Just, I, I feel like we did not have slaves.
1: We did. We did. Here
3: in America? We did. No, no, we
1: I'm owned sorry. their children. We, we had slaves. We don't like it. But we had slaves. Everyone did in the ancient world.
3: Again, when I think of slave, I mean, with the children, that's looked at as property, and that is slave-like. But mm-hmm. I, it's amazing that they did have um, rights. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that everybody on Shabbat, I won't go into that we all know how many rights that they had. Very different than the American slave experience.
1: Yes. So that's the distinction for me that's important, not the not the condition of slavery. Sadly it's it, still- In yeah. other words, I'm more proud of those laws because they were slaves. They had no power. Yeah. They had no authority. They had no agency. They'd given that up. Right? Because they were indentured, you know, or whatever for a time because they lost their field. So the fact that they were Owned to some extent, like, is, makes me even more proud that we had laws that said, and you can only go this far. And right. they have rights. Right. And they are human beings. Right? right? So that.
3: Like workers rights.
1: They're slaves' Slave rights. rights. Yes. Robert, did you have your hand oh, up? Oh. Yeah,
3: well, it,
0: probably not important, but sure, better than, than, I just think about the, I don't know why, the British debtors' prisons as the out. I mean, that was way earlier than yet.
1: More slightly, civilized. Way
0: more civilized than the debtors' prison out.
1: Right. That's right. That's right.
0: I wonder how Christians uh,
4: justified um, even in the northern states uh, having to turn over a slave. They couldn't uh, protect the slave. And I assume that uh, good
1: Christians are bound by these you know, saying So it's a very interesting issue, Ruben, that you just raised. And re- when we go to the charging loans and interest, it's a very, very interesting history of Christians and their relationship to these texts. So in general, so Ruben brings up the point, wait a minute, how could Christians who are reading this, who are In the north, how could they turn over a fugitive slave when it says right here, you can't do that? Aren't they bound by these laws? It's a very interesting question. The answer is when they want to be. (laughs) And and I'm being very serious when I say that. So remember that Christianity is a supersessionist religion. We talked a little bit about this, yes? Jesus comes and... And renders the Old Testament gone. gone. Where disappears in the New
4: Testament?
1: Ah, that's a different story. But you said the, the the Old Testament says right. The New Testament comes to replace the Old Testament. So, if Jesus rules something in the New Testament, then it abrogates. Negates the Old Testament understanding of that law. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's go on.
0: Because he said he didn't say that slavery was okay, did he?
1: Who? Jesus. Jesus didn't talk about God. slaves. Yeah, so it wasn't an issue.
0: Back to Reuben's wasn't it? I mean, certainly a lot of Christians ran the helped run the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. some
4: didn't <laughs> <laughs> right and of course this combined uh, southern uh, slave owners well uh, uh, not a slave owner but many uh, yeah, people in the south who did own
1: slaves right they would have so no so to- a couple of things there's so many levels that we always have to keep in mind which makes things very complicated but that's what we're here for so <laughs> so some of these laws remember would have been only in the land of Israel that's the out this is talking about Israelites in Israel, right? Slaves coming over the border to the land of Israel. So that's one out.
4: What wouldn't that apply to every? No. Liberal, uh, issue. No.
1: <laughs> Slander is not about the land of Israel, right? It's that you can't do that because it's bad behavior. It's
3: universal.
1: You know, not sleeping with your father's wife. Doesn't matter if you live in Israel, it's bad behavior, you don't do it. Some things are about the land of Israel, and the rabbis, the rabbis say, oh, because we're not in the land of Israel, that no longer holds. But some things that seem to have been addressed to the folks living in the land of Israel, they're still in force. So let's go to, okay, so no no cult prostitution for Israelites,
2: Male or female?
1: Male or female. Right? It doesn't say they shall not be in your midst. What's the difference?
3: If an Israelite participates, it's um, we're uh, honoring another God. That's not our religion to do this.
1: So it doesn't say you shall not suffer this in your midst. It says no Israelite shall be a prostitute, male or female. There is reason to argue against the translation of cult prostitute. There is reason some people argue for that translation. We don't, we can, but we don't have to go there. Um, But it seems, it's clear that it's about prostitution of some kind. And neither men nor women who are Israelite, Should do that. Remember, we have a law that says no father—a father shall not let his daughter, his Israelite daughter, become a whore. Right? It's considered degrading, and that you Israelites are not supposed to do that. If they want to do that, okay, but not you.
4: This particular translation doesn't use the word "cult" at all.
1: It just says "prostitute." Okay.
2: I have a book of the six hundred and thirteen mitzvot. And it's organized, it's got the positive mitzvot, the negative mitzvot, and then there's a whole section, the mitzvot, that only apply in the land of Israel. Right. And it's not just one, it's a whole category oh, yeah. of things that the rabbis have ruled, and uh, makes it easier for us outside of
1: Israel. <laughs> <laughs> right? All right, so, so let's go to 20. How about 19? How about 19? You shall not bring the fee of a whore or the pay of a dog into the house of Adonai, your God. So we're not sure. We're pretty clear what fee of a whore means. We are, so meaning you, it was common practice for at festival time for people who were prostitutes to place themselves right outside the temple where people would be coming, right? You get good business. If you want business, you better go where your customers are. So they're outside the temples at festival times. Fine. Astarte. Ishtar, Baal, they're having their festivals. People want to be prostitutes. How how does a prostitute guarantee some good business? I'm going to give a tenth of all my earnings today to God, to the temple. That will ensure a successful day. Okay, fine. They can do that to ISIS. They can do that for Ra. They can do that for right, whoever. That's fine. You Israelites, do not think... That you can bring what you make, whoring, into the temple as a gift. It's not acceptable.
2: I've heard this verse applied to not ex- synagogues not accepting donations from money that is illegal. Right. There was a whole question once it was discussion here, not that this was real, about would we accept you a know, $5 million donation from such and such a person who we suspected was a quote. We
4: had yeah,
2: that
4: very recently there, yeah, with the Milken. Yeah, there's an right, issue. With yeah. Milken. Right?
1: We talked about it in here. Yeah, and one of the things was, how
2: do you know that that $5 million of all the money that he has was the one that was gotten illegally? we take the $5 million, that's not illegal. Give <laughs> the illegal $5 million. Right, it's the IRS money. that
1: got the whoring money. Exactly. <laughs> we got that's the clean money. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a really serious it's always been a really serious issue, right? And it's a real, yeah. real issue. Uh, and I think particularly in politics right now, right? You know, just kind of where candidates' money comes from is becoming a just scandalous, it's just scandalous. The corruption in our system related to money and politics, and the filth of it is just everywhere. And, and it's just even more so when you see the Trump uh, talking. So, um, all right, so... Citizens united. <laughs> you shall not deduct interest from loans to your countrymen, whether in money or food or anything else that can be deducted as interest, but you may deduct interest from loans To foreigners. So this could sound like you're taking advantage of foreigners in a way that you wouldn't of Israelites. However, if we understand it in its context, the ancient Israelite economy was agrarian. In an agrarian society, money is not central to the system. There isn't a lot of small business startups that need loans. That's later. When this is written, mostly you're dealing with agricultural surplus. Right? As your um exactly, right? So, the idea the idea of lending, so if money's not central to the system, when does lending happen? And what does that imply? If I'm lending seed or lending so people can buy seed, what does that imply about their situation? They're close to starvation. In an agrarian society, if you're lending someone money, it's because they need to buy seed because they have no surplus. Their crop failed. And if their crop failed... Torah seems to be saying, you do not get to profit off of someone's crop failing. Now, if an Egyptian spice baron wants a loan to buy some more camels to expand their spice trade, that's one thing. You can can risk your capital and lend that Egyptian money and make money off of the money you lent them. Fine. But if an Israelite is borrowing it's generally assumed it's because they are destitute and close to losing everything.
5: I agree with that, right? Because I, I would look at this much differently. Uh, I, I think if everybody that is created in the image of God, a Israelite, then as a practical matter, we are distinguishing ourselves by our actions towards each other. But the corners are behind This is business. There's no team. They have to assume that they're money and other people are this just we'll do business. And we're distinguishing Israelites from not Israelites, and that's about it. But that's normal. People distinguish how they treat their family,
2: how they treat people who live in the same country. We we do it in so many different ways. That's
5: right. And there's nothing. But it's, I mean, it's, the same it's, as Kashmir. We are we are separating ourselves from the
1: so. I, Yes and no, but we're laying a level of image of godness that is not here. It's not that the foreigners not created in the image of God, so therefore you can charge them interest. It's I'm, I'm not articulating this very well. The stress goes the other way. That it's not nice if your countryman has fallen on hard times. It's not. You're not a decent people if you capitalize on their misfortune.
5: Doesn't that lead you down the trap of the Israelite who is very wealthy? And you, Why does every Israelite have to be assumed to be impoverished in order to make this work?
1: Because money was not the means of exchange. It's not only money.
5: I can pay you with cows. I can pay you with grain. Interest is interest. It's kind.
1: Right. So, what I think what I'm saying is that it wasn't co- it wasn't common t- to lend and borrow. It was something that was done when one was desperate. And Torah's law is you can't, you shouldn't capitalize on your Israelites, your fellow Israelites' misfortune.
5: But if, if you were writing this, wouldn't you have said, "But"? If Israelite A is wealthy and not elite, e, and Israelite B is a venture
3: capitalist, and Israelite B wants to borrow money from Israelite A, fine.
1: Okay, so those of us who are exposed to venture capitalism being in the norm, yes, I would have written that. It wasn't normative. I guess that's the point. They, if
5: wealthy Israelites were normative. They were. They were
1: yes, all. but not venture capitalists. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm just using Yeah, word. but... But that, but it's a great example. That wasn't what, they were just trying to, so wealthy Israelites always, you know, had different privileges and of course, but they shouldn't, they shouldn't capitalize on the fact that another Israelite is so desperate that they need to borrow money. It's assumed they're desperate. That's the assumption you're not making. Torah, right, Torah makes the assumption
5: not everybody's poor I'm not assuming that they're
1: not poor Torah's assuming if you're borrowing you are poor you're not opening a shopping mall you're not Caruso that didn't happen is what Torah's saying normative if you're borrowing you are desperate alright Robert
0: all I was going to say is we're talking about an era when, we're talking about tribes here right? tribal behavior this just strikes me as uh, just saying, hey, you're a member of the tribe. You, you've got to take care of each other, mm-hmm. not take advantage yeah. of each other. That makes more if sense you're sense in speed. the tribe. But that's in that's the, the tribe. Tribe. Okay? That's So the mean, that's what it That is what I mean, that's so the level, a question of poverty versus
5: not poverty. I mean, we are Israelites we are different from the non-Israelites, and our custom is we don't judge interest to Israelites. It doesn't make a statement. We
1: don't well, the Israelites, were the,
5: were the, the, the Israelites weren't the church. only tribe, but
0: they were, tribe,
1: they were a tribe. All right, so I'm I'm reading my notes to say non legal passages consistently regard the taking of interest from one's countrymen as wrong, without differentiating between solvent. And poor borrowers. And it is unlikely that exacting interest from solvent people on the rare occasion when they might borrow was ever acceptable. Most likely Exodus and Leviticus specify the poor simply because it was they who normally borrowed. So that's that's the JPS uh, understanding. So this later becomes church law. So... To Reuben's question, the church read itself as the new Israel and took this to mean that they could not charge one another interest. So if you can't charge each other interest cuz you're Christians, who's going to be the banker? Who's going to lend you money when you're Caruso and you want to put a Bay Theater in the Palisades? Jews. The Jews because the Jews can charge interest to a Christian, and the Christians, right, aren't going to lend to other Christians if they're not going to make any money on their capital. So there were then there's no lending happening among the Christians. So the Jews lend the money to the Christian who wants to make war against their neighbor and take over their castle, and... Then what happens when this guy who borrowed money from the Jews loses that war?
6: Kill, kill. Oh, <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> yes. How do you make that debt go away? <laughs> a pogrom would be really handy right about now.
3: <laughs>
1: they use Christian babies' blood in making matzah. Let's go kill those baby killers. Right? This is exactly how a lot of anti-Semitism spreads in feudal Europe, you know, and in under Christian rule throughout Europe. And this is how all of those stereotypes, right, of the Jew being the money-grubbing Jew, right, because, first of all, they had to turn to the Jews for capital if they're not lending to each other. That's part A. Part B is Jews could not be citizens, Jews could not own land. Jews could not be in the guilds. And you can't make and sell something if you're not part of a guild. So what are you going to do as a Jew? One of the only ways for Jews to make money was to lend whatever capital they had at interest. Because that's what they had, right? I I can lend and fund things and then charge interest. That's one of the few occupations that was open to Jews. And then when your crop fails or you lose that war now, right? we all hate the bank that's going to foreclose, but we borrowed the money. Like, but, but even we, right, feel resentment for the bank.
4: We have the Free Loan Society
1: now. So the Hebrew Free Loan Society was started for exactly this reason. Loan your fellow Jew money at no interest when they're on hard times, when they're trying to make it. Lend at no interest. Okay, and there's
6: still Jewish free
1: loan. Absolutely, absolutely.
6: Very vibrant agency. Right. And it comes from this. And
1: it comes from this. It's that old. Our sensitivity about this is this old. Blanche?
3: There was no ethical Jewish philosophy
5: or Christian philosophy in the recession. The people
1: handling mortgages and house sales never told, it, never asked for a down payment,
6: never told the people. When things would come due and what they would owe, and they let mostly minority groups fall into this trap
1: of having their houses be possessed, right? Have this whole mess without anyone paying for it. Well, we have paid for it. <laughs> no. <laughs> What I mean is somebody went to check. Right. Oh, right. right. But I, yes. No one got punished. But yes. boy, are we paying for it. Yes. A lot of us homeowners are paying for it. Right? The, ho- the hoops we have to jump through, the kind of rates we have to pay, all of that is related to the banks who now say it was you borrowers who were irresponsible. I had for my condo that I bought here... I, they tra- they chased down a 210 dollars check from ki and made me defend that it was my money and not right because you borrowers are really not able to make payments and that's how this whole thing happened so now you got to prove to us that that was salary that that was reimbursement and not ki giving you money that you don't really have because that's how this whole business happened which is like the it's like wh- what what? Right, so banks are now like trying to put the blame on buyers when it's like really it was you greedy lending craziness people. Oh, it's like the rape victim. Don't even get me started. Right, dressed that way, just ridiculous. Okay. All right. right, it's just crazy, mm-hmm. but because of the, their greed and knowing they were lending to people who they shouldn't be lending to, and the subprime business and all that crap, and selling mortgage. Oh, and then they're going to blame us. Oh my gosh! Right. So
4: this is irrelevant, but in Iceland they have sent people to prison for doing exactly the same things that we're talking about.
5: They were They
1: are being All right, so um, what time are we up? quarter Oh, yeah,
4: okay. Yeah,
5: I have 10.30. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we love you. so are
3: watching
1: i We love to read you. a little bit um, to, to this you. a little bit so many acts, you know, being considered sacred. Um, I'm gonna read you t- from one of my favorite books, uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner's Book to Life. It remains one of my all-time favorites, and anyone I'm studying with for conversion has to read it first. After a lecture I was giving one evening, says Rabbi Kushner, I invited questions from the audience. One woman raised her hand, identifying herself as a Jew, who tried to be a good and honest person, a helpful neighbor, and a supporter of Israel. But she said she did not live a religious Jewish life. She asked me half seriously, half challengingly, do you really believe that God will like me better if I kept kosher? I told her that I was no authority on whether or why God likes some people better than others, but that that was the wrong question. One didn't live a seriously Jewish life so that God would like you. Maybe that is what we were taught as children, but if so, that is only because children operate on that basis, not because God does. Children strive to do the right thing to win the approval of parents, teachers, and other important people in their lives, including, I suppose, God. If our perception of Judaism is still based on what we were told as children, we may well think in terms of doing things, going to services, keeping kosher, telling the truth, in order to please God. But, I told her, if we can outgrow that childhood notion, we will come to understand that living a seriously Jewish life is not a matter of winning God's favor, but of growing as a human being. Is God angry at you if you eat a cheeseburger? I can't believe that God is. But we disappoint God when we regularly reject the opportunity to turn breakfast, lunch, And dinner into religious moments, to raise them from the level of animal sustenance to the level of encounters with our humanity by imposing standards of permitted and forbidden on the foods that we eat. Do I believe that? Do we disappoint God and shortchange ourselves? when we only worry about the food we eat nourishing our bodies, when we worry about its calorie count, cholesterol, and artificial ingredients, and never worry about choosing food so as to nourish our Jewish souls, that I can and do believe. The question is not how many of the hundreds of mitzvot you choose to follow. The question is whether you are interested in doing what what Jews have always done, Recapturing the feeling of standing at Sinai, bringing holiness into your life by sanctifying even its ordinary moments, especially its ordinary moments. Over the centuries, ordinary people, people who were not saints, people who were not scholars, managed to do that for God's sake and for the sake of their own souls. To paraphrase a familiar slogan, a soul is a terrible thing.